This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital, DeSoto. And hi, everyone. I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. Well, we are so excited today to have Gina Futrell from Vizient Corporation with us today. Gina, would you tell us a little bit about your role at Vizient and what you do there and your background? Sure. So glad to be with you today. I'm the executive principal, reliability and management systems at Vizient. And I lead our HRO offering. I have patient safety organization and I also lead our regulatory compliance. I'm a nurse by background, a lot of critical care, trauma, I moved into CV service line. And then for the last few years, I've been in really focused on performance improvement um, from operations to quality and safety, just really immersed in that work and working with healthcare organizations across the country. Gina, thank you very much once again for being here, and and we sure do appreciate all the work that you guys at Vizient do to to help us, and and especially here at DeSoto and at Memphis, you're helping us on our National Quality Scorecard optimization, and we really do appreciate that. But I wanted to ask you, a few weeks ago, you gave us a presentation, and and, and based on Vizient's quality and accountability study, you guys have identified the top performers uh, as far as hospitals and hospital systems in the country. And you guys have studied the characteristics of these organizations, the characteristics of their leaders. But this has been a study that's been going on for, I don't know, 20 years. Why don't you walk us through a little bit of the some of those studies that you guys have done over the years and how you guys um you know, how these top performers have been able to sustain their position. Yeah, I'd, I'd be glad to. It's something of great interest. And to, to me personally, as a professional um, around performance improvement, but, you know, for the organization as a whole, we started in 2005 and to objectively evaluate organizations, and this was academic medical centers, and determine what were those unique characteristics for those organizations who we identified as top performers against those who were average. And at the time, we did not have a really uh, objective way to even identify and, and compare to, to figure out who were the top performers. So within our clinical database, we developed a, a more of a balanced scorecard, and there's five domains around efficiency, effectiveness, mortality, safety, equity, patient-centeredness, and we measured organizations and really went into them blindly. When we identified six organizations, we didn't know if they were a top performer or not. So you really objectively determined what were those characteristics, differentiations between the organizations. And in the end, there were some clear differences with those that we then measured to be a top performer and those who were not. And those early findings um, really have stayed true to the last uh, study that we just completed on, uh, we called them the sustainers. So we looked at organizations who had sustained top performer like 10 plus years and in those organizations who had been a top performer at one point, they had fallen out and then maybe they bounced back up, but there was just variation year to year. So what were, what were those characteristics? And so it was, you know, it's just building on our original research 
Um, nothing has ever come off the list. I'll just quickly tell you, it, you know, initially in 2005, what clearly came forward is that there was a shared purpose across the organization that just aligned the organization on what their true north, you know, what was how they defined success. There was a really defined leadership style at the CEO when we really studied the CEO at that point and how did they immerse themselves across the organization? How did they create a burning platform and just bring the shared purpose to life? There was real results accountability that's when they really started comparing themselves transparently to benchmarks. And there was a deep sense of collaboration, mutual respect across the organization. So that was in 2005. And then with the sustainers, it just built on that. Nothing's ever been taken off the list, but, but many of those original characteristics have just matured. So can we dive into that just a little bit more? Those characteristics that you just described, how were you able to measure that at all these different centers? Was it was it a survey? Was it interviews with employees? But but how do you, you know, how do you identify the CEO's leadership style? Mm-hmm. For instance, we immersed ourselves in interviews. So we looked at some quantitative data, but qualitative, we went on site. We not only speak with the leadership, but we really want to get down to the front line and see where there's consistencies across the entire organization, you know, from the board to the to the middle management to talking with with staff. And when we started seeing themes throughout that were consistent, consistent language, you know, when when you know you have the front line talking about the the same North Star shared purpose as you hear from the physicians, you start to come away with that this is real. This is not just something that we're hearing the leadership say. We're we're validating that throughout the organization. And you know, I was privileged to go on site with Rush University, um, Kansas, and then Utah was another one of our top performers, our sustainers that we looked at. And I wasn't able to go out that, but another team did. And so it's just immersing yourself, you know, there for a few days and talking just with many individuals as you can and looking, you know, for those proof points, you know, going to the patient care areas and looking at visual management and listening to huddles and just seeing the engagement and the, and there's passion, just how the passion emerged. To to follow up on that, you know, I would imagine that most organizations would look at these qualities and think, you know, if I'm the CEO of a hospital, I'm going to say, I, I clearly have a defined vision and we have a shared purpose. But how do you know as an organization internally whether or not you are are average on these characteristics versus uh, you know maybe there's maybe there's work to be done? You know how would an organization go about I guess self-assessing in those regards? Well, you know, um, first is you know when we talk about shared purpose, you know what is that north star? How are you defining success? And many times that is in your metrics. So are you achieving, you know, those performance metrics that you set out to? Because that's how we really, you know, identify you as a top performer. But, you know, when you speak with throughout the organization and people, they can't tell you what those are. You know, well, I don't really know. Or, you know, the list is so complicated, they can't repeat it back. Um, So you start to see, you know, where is their knowledge that has been distributed and understood in a way that anybody in the organization can articulate it back. So you st- you ask probing questions just to see what they know and what they don't know. And the big thing is, you know, how do you bring it to life? 
you know, can you say what is my individual role in helping that organization achieve their goals? And if there's a disconnect there, they really don't have that burning platform alignment across the organization. You know, you got you you guys have been studying these these hospitals and hospital systems for 16 years, and I'm sure there's a couple, like you mentioned, Rush and Mayo Clinic, who have they have been sustainers and they've been on the list from day one, despite the changing landscape of healthcare. You know, one of the biggest changes is the electronic medical record, and you think about things like the the changes in the payment system and the Affordable Care Act, and these organizations have been able to weather those changes, and, and how are they doing it? Yeah. How are they adapting to the changing uh, landscape? Well, it, you know, it's interesting, and, you know, what could have been a bigger test than what, you know, you have faced on the front line with COVID? And what we found is those organizations who had that really strong infrastructure of systems and processes and leadership, they, you know, though they were tested and definitely had their challenges, they they did weather that storm better than those. You know, what we hear from organizations is that, you know, with COVID, and you could talk about any disruption, it illuminated the fragility of our systems and processes. And if they were more hardwired and the organization understood how do I problem solve? You know, patients for you know putting patients first and making having the autonomy to make decisions. Um, they they did weather those storms. You know, you talk about electronic medical records. One of the things that came out, you know, in one of the original studies was many of the average performers. They look. They were always looking ahead and saying, well, once we get the EMR, that's going to solve all our problems. Well, once we get this new construction that's going to solve all our problems. And those, you know, you keep waiting for that versus, versus, you know, heads down today, figuring out how am I going to create the, the engagement, the accountability, the culture, you know, it, it's, as you approach this, as you know, there's a culture strategy and there's a technical strategy. And many people can get the technical strategy right. That's, you know, I would say that's more the easier thing to do. The culture is the hard piece. And what we see is these organizations, they understand, they tackle the culture and spend just as much time on the culture as they do the technical capabilities, because that's where you get the differentiation. And it's, it was interesting when you go to Rush and you go to Kansas, you'll hear them talk about the Rush way, the Kansas way, because that's a part of the culture that's embedded in those organizations. And it's we would come right away and go, that was intense. That was palpable. You know, wow, it's just consistent throughout the organization. They are so proud of their organization. And there's so much respect. That came out loud and clear. You know, it was just as a nurse to hear the physician leaders, to hear the executive leadership talking about the respect they felt for their nurses. And that, you know, Magnet was as important to them as it was to the nursing because it gave nurses voice and it gave them governance and they just respected them. And there was great um, collaboration and dyads. And it, 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 was, um, it was just very warming to see that come to life. So, you know, we brought up the sustainers, those that have been able to, I guess, sustain this top performance for, you know, since 2005. My real question is 
is what about those that were average at the beginning of your study and that were able to rise into the top uh, decile? How, what were characteristics of those organizations? What changes did you see uh, in, in those that were able to, to make that jump? Because I think that's where most of us want to go. You know, in 2010, we looked at organizations who jumped over 20 points within the quality and accountability study and said, yeah, I mean, everybody wants to know, how did you do that? How did you rapidly rise so quickly? We actually give a ward out for that every year. Um, but, you know, I'm just looking at the 2010 study and some of the things that came out in that was, you know, we did our original study in 2005, then 2010, we came back and looked at those rapid risers. So what was the difference? And we saw at that point, you know, the CEO always remains a critical leader in the organization, but we saw that it, it was expanding across the leadership team. Well, the leader, the CEO cannot just carry that message and that burning platform and, and model every day what's important for the organization. So we did see an expansion into the leadership team. We saw quality and safety get more organized and we saw the role of the CQO come out. Um, we started seeing more uh, coaching occurring and facilitation more towards the front line and local activation. You know, what you'll hear with the organizations, um, even the sustainers say, you know, we're developing an army of problem solvers. Everyone has to be accountable for, you know, solving problems as close in space and time. And I know if y'all have been working with Vizzy, you, you hear, you know, talk about that is to give um, engagement and responsibility at the front line to solve problems when they see them. So, you know, there's a lot of, of things that these organizations do from a rapid um, um, improver. One of the things is to identify, you know, what's in our North Star? How do we know where we're going so that, you know, we know when we get there? And, and whatever it is as an organization, whether it is the quality and accountability, study that we have or you select something else that you know is a national um, ranking that everyone understands what that is and their current state and their gap to get there and then you develop your plan around it so it, it i would say the biggest thing is getting the organization aligned and engaged about how you're defining success and them to understand their individual role in a contribution We just um, we just started using the clinical database here at, at Baptist and, and I'm still trying to learn my way around navigating it. And I, it's, it's really fascinating. I enjoy it. it. It's it's I don't like to say play with, but it's fun to play with. And I'm really looking forward to really being able to run reports and, 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 and you know, get some meaningful work out of them. But one thing about the clinical database is you can compare yourself to any hospital that's that's in the clinical database. And, and so everything is transparent. And, and talk to us a little bit about the importance of transparency as, as a motivator to improve. Well, it's critical. And that's a differentiation between a top performer and not is that you you know, it's it's all about understanding where you are and not in a punitive way, but just just seeking to understand so that you know where you want to go. So that is a differentiation. It takes for many culturally, that's a big leap and they struggle with going there. Um, but we do think it's a differentiation and it, for people who want to, you know, to improve. 
And sometimes when someone new comes into the clinical database, they'll really challenge that. You know, we don't want to be transparent. That's our culture. We are transparent. And the clinical database was created as a learning tool, as an improvement tool. And, you know, it's not so much, of course, people are very proud when they're a top performer, but we do have some structure and some rules around how you can use that because we want it to be an accelerator of performance and learning and sharing. And that was really the impetus of, uh, upon creating that, you know, back when it when it originally started. So transparency is critical to be honest, an honest reflection of your performance and for everybody to work towards improvement, not towards pointing fingers and it to be punitive. And that's, you know, I have to tell you, that's about having a culture of safety that, that, that I can look at this and know that it's typically a systems or a process problem that we need to fix. It's not a, a people problem. Tell us a little bit about how organizations that are top performers use, uh, what are their relationships like with their physicians compared to those that are their average performers? And how are physicians kind of embedded so that they can, um, I guess, work more directly in the quality improvement and, and process improvement um, construct? Well, that, that's something that emerged over, you know, years of study. We saw the physicians take on a more role, active role in owning the quality and safety for the organization. And, you know, just now many physician leaders are, are, are there's physicians in those CQO, those CQO roles. So it's critical. And um, because, you know, you can influence your peers and you can have that physician to physician collaboration. But it's also critical, you know, as in dyad partnerships, in, in partnering with those nurses on the patient care areas to have that physician perspective, to have that nursing perspective. So that's one of the things that we see with the top performers. You have very strong, mutually respectful collaboration between physician and nurses because both are required to be able to influence your groups. Um, so physician is critical and where we see with the average performers is when when physicians, you know, they may they may lack confidence, what we hear, lack confidence in executives who are too financially motivated, where it feels like all of the metrics and every conversation is around the dollars. Not that that's not important, it's critically important. But so is the quality and safety, you know, and the efficiency experience for the patient. So, you know, if only the metrics that are put in front of them appear to be financially motivated, there's a disconnect because the physician, and I don't have to tell you, may feel that the executive does not understand what's important to them. So it, getting physician alignment, getting physician champions not only with, you know, with their colleagues, but also with the nursing staff. And, you know, one of the things I'll just, you know, from a culture standpoint that stood out with the average performers is there was still a real a hierarchy between nursing and physicians that, you know, that, that harms that relationship versus treating them like colleagues and peers in deference to expertise. Um, so when you start seeing an organization who's very title oriented, who's very, you know, education oriented, where physicians still, you know, it has the last word, 
it doesn't create a culture where everyone feels like they have voice and are respected for what they can bring to the table. Yeah, Skip, you might want to comment on that. I mean, that 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 takes us right into uh, your level one relationships, level two relationships, and and humble inquiry. Why don't you comment a little bit about that, Skip? Yeah, you know, we we've done a lot of work in the last year uh, thinking about. Uh, relationships and how relationships are fostered and and we've really embraced the work of Dr. Edgar Schein with humble inquiry and and Dr. Schein talks a lot about four levels of relationships you know a negative one being a you know a, a domination and kind of an exploitation but that that tends not to be what healthcare is healthcare tends to predominantly be what would be known not as a negative one but a level one meaning a transactional very polite very professional but professionally distant also and and there's an encouragement to try to move towards a a level 2 relationship which is a personal openness and trust you know and when you can get to that openness and trust then you eventually start to get answers to questions that you didn't even know to ask. You know, when you only have the transactional relationship, um, unfortunately, information gets concealed. Uh, problems don't get brought up. Um, and that's when risk occurs, you know, for the patient. So, yeah, we've been been very involved uh, with that. Uh, did you see that in some of your top performing organizations there? Uh, Gina? Um, well, what I can just say is that there is very respectful relationships. And, you know, that's what it, the executives play such an important role in every every day their activities and behaviors model the culture that you want. And, you know, when when we round with the executives and you can just feel the warmth, you can feel the smiles, there's there's a first name basis. And um, it's it's very different when you're with, you know, an executive and they walk through the halls and, you know, they, they just you don't feel that same relationship and warmth. And so you don't get that elevation of issues um, and that in, that collaboration around problem solving. Gina, can you speak to the, uh, the issue of um, consistency? And what I mean by that is that the thing that impresses me in life is the difficulty of being consistent. It's one thing to uh, you know be a top performer for a year or two, but when you're able to do it year after year after year, I remember hearing an interview after the national championship and, and uh, Kirby Smart, the coach of the Georgia Bulldogs said, now it gets really tough. And he said, it gets so much tougher to be consistent. What's, what was your research? What was your findings? What were your discoveries? Because some of these organizations that y'all have been working with have not just been a very high performer for a year or two, but we're talking decades. What, what, what did you discover there? Yeah, one thing that's interesting, and this plays out over and over with our top performers, is they are never satisfied. They're just not. If they're number two, they want to be number one. And if you're number one, you realize that you have got to stay consistent. You've got to continue to nurture your culture. You've got to stay consistent with your performance improvement, because the minute you slow down and celebrate for too long, someone's going to pass you. And it's not about it, it's not about, 
you know, yeah, yeah, there's some there's some very healthy competition across this, but it's that, you know, constantly staying focused on the delivering the very best care for your patient every single day. And um, so never being satisfied comes out over and over again um, because it's too hard. And if you stop, then you're going to fall behind. So one thing in your presentation that struck me was the importance of board support at, at these hospitals. Can you tell us just a little bit about, about what you mean, what you see with those that are able to achieve high quality versus uh, the average hospitals? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was something that was really interesting as it evolved. Um, you know, we felt the passion um, from definitely from the leadership team, and there was just an energy around it. And we felt that throughout the organization. We didn't really anticipate that from the board, but we felt that too. There was a real passion and ownership for the quality and safety of the organization. We were so impressed with those who sat on the, you know, the quality committee, how well they understood the metrics, how well they understood the methodology, and how they were very aware of their strengths and their opportunities. And they, when there was a miss, when there was harm, they really, they wanted closure. They wanted to understand what was the plan that was going to be put in place. And that wasn't enough. They wanted a feedback loop. So they really held accountability and owned that within the organization as their role to achieve um, um, their, you know, their, their North Star. We're in, in contrast with the board members we spoke to, and I'm generalizing, of course, you know, there's always that, you know, there are always, always some um, who, who have those same top characteristics, but the board was kept more at bay and maybe it was more kept around, um, you know, credentialing or uh, some other very important process within the organization, but they didn't have the same performance transparency. They were not as engaged with the quality and safety of the organization. They may have, you know, I'm sure they received some, some metrics, but as far as the follow-up um, actions and closure, around those events we just didn't see that see that same interaction that you know from the board they were passionate and i thought boy i don't know if i'd want to go in front of that board if you know there was some event but it it still was a very you know safe and, and trusting place from a learning standpoint but they were very very engaged I, I was just curious about how you guys went about studying these these organizations. Did did y'all just call them up and say, "Hey, we'd like to come come study or hang out with you"? Is is tell us a little bit about that. They're very proud. I mean, they're very very proud. And, and I, what I'll say about the quality and accountability, it's not about chasing the metrics. These organizations believe that if they are a top performer in their cohort, and we have four cohorts. If they are a top performer in their cohort and they look at who they're being compared to, these very respected colleagues across the country, they know that they're a top performer. They believe that this metric really does, does this, this combination of metrics really does identify top performer. And they and so it matters to them. So they're very willing in it. And again, it's about learning and sharing. 
So they were very proud to tell their story, but also knowing that it's gonna benefit others. In contrast, the organizations that we didn't share the names of, but who had been a top performer and had fallen out, they were equally interested in participating because what they wanted to know, help us understand our gaps. Where have we lost our way? What, what can you, what, we're looking at this as a learning experience too. We're transparent. We understand that our performance is not where it is. Maybe we can't put our finger on it. So I'm gonna do this because in the end, I want you to share back with us where you think we need to focus, where we have lost our way. And I tell you, sometimes it was that they have, they had, they, their North Star had gotten blurred. You know, they really couldn't define top performance anymore. Maybe they were chasing too many metrics or they had so much turnover that their culture had, you know, really eroded over time. Um, so, you know, there were several things that we saw with, the, or with those. You know, the biggest thing was variation. They just had not, um, you know, whatever had disrupted them, gone back through that organizational transformation to get back you know, with all of these characteristics, because all of them are required to be to maintain that. It's hard work, no doubt about it. Yeah, I know we're running out of time, but one of the things that you've mentioned several times is uh, the importance of having a North Star and that maybe some of the average hospitals um, are chasing too many metrics. Um, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, how the sustainers focus on, you know, kind of key things and, and keep doing that over time um, versus uh, I sometimes feel that, you know, there's a new metric introduced every day that we're, we have all of a sudden have to care about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know that I've got, you know, the 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 easy answer to that. But, you know, where are you going to get the biggest ROI on your efforts and staying very focused on that and creating the right systems and processes and accountabilities around that? How do you create that interlocking accountability from the piece of paper all the way to the front line? And, and the, the, the bigger thing is how do you create ownership for those metrics? You know, if it's in a per patient care area or it's in a service area, how do you help them to understand the so what and that they really can impact change? Um, it's it's getting the organization aligned or you know aligned around those few metrics that are going to give you the greatest ROI on your efforts because you can't work on everything. Well, Gina, I just want to thank you so much for being with us today. This is really, I think, helpful. I think it's needed. I think it's important that we look at top performers versus uh, average performers. I mean, who who wants to be average? And uh, the thing that's so impressive about that work, I was involved in your presentation and and just the, the company or the organizations that were consistent year after year after year is you really got to tip your hat to that. Gina, thank you so much uh, for the work that y'all are doing at Vizient. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, I just want to say I really appreciate everything y'all are doing. Thank you. My pleasure. Appreciate the partnership. Thank you, Gina. Thank you.